This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. And my partner and co-host and daughter, Heidi, is not able to be on the show with us today because she is traveling back from some television shows that we did in Northern California. She's heading back to New York. But we are going to talk to a person who is a New Yorker, and I'm hoping, Heidi's hoping to meet her someday, and that's Audrey Pelicano. Audrey's a nurse, a mentor, an educator, a speaker, an author, a mom, a wife, and a widow. And Audrey helps people tap into the power of their minds and to heal from loss and to move beyond pain and to regenerate feelings of happiness, bliss, and embracing a healthy lifestyle. And Audrey hosts Death Cafe at the Open Center of New York City, if you live in that area, and is the author of the Handbook of Six Secrets to Surviving Widowhood. And she is also on Grief Talk Radio, and I'm looking at her website right now. She has a great website. You're going to want to go to it. It's called Wise Widow. And even if you are not uh, haven't lost a spouse, you're going to find so much great information because it's on health counseling. She's a health educator, and she does all this work after loss. And by the way, she's a registered nurse, which is always dear to my heart because I always say nurses rule, Audrey, <laughs> since I'm one too. <laughs> Everyone loves a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. True. It's true. <laughs> I know because we're we're empathetic and we've got that whole medical background that uh, yes. we can really tap into what's going on with the body because grief and loss is a real body thing, isn't it? I think it's been so beneficial um, to have had that knowledge as a registered nurse and going through grief and loss myself, and as as you also have done, to realize um, when you really become aware of that connection that the power of the mind, um, how we can tap into that. And, and it, it's a wonderful tool. Um, and I think that you and I being tuned into that um, can ask relevant questions um, of our clients to help them feel better. Yeah. You know, I was really surprised. I was working um, consulting to the surgical service at the University of Rochester and teaching when my son was killed in an automobile accident. And I actually had presented on grief and loss and worked with a lot of families who lost uh, children and family members and adults and on the surgical service, worked with the intensive care unit and counseled families. I will tell you, I was totally surprised about the physical aspect, the strength of it. Yeah, it's rarely, well, you know, we never speak about grief and loss, so we have absolutely no idea of what to expect. And I know in working with clients, when I point things out and they're made far more aware of their bodies um, and the responses to their thoughts in their bodies, um, that it really is it's such an aid um, and such an amazing teaching tool and something that everybody can learn, which is um, part of my mission is to have people, because I work with them over a brief period of time, so that they can learn the skills and techniques um, and apply them throughout their life. You know, just the simple acts uh, for people who've had a loss recently of making sure you drink a lot of water and uh, breathe 
Um, talk about the breath a little bit for us. Well, that's one of the connections, one of the first connections. And I, I start every one of my sessions with my clients. And I work virtually, either by Skype or by phone. And before we even begin, um, we start by taking three deep breaths. Because just the act of taking three deep breaths totally shifts your focus. I've got an idea, Audrey. Let's stop for a minute and take three while you finish. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's do that. All right. Take a deep inhale through the nose and blow it out through the mouth. Another deep inhale and let it go. And one last deep breath in. And release it. All right. It just, it shifts us. And, and I think one of, one of the things many of us are frequently in a place of being all over the place. And um, in working with people who have suffered loss, when, and typically I say, don't ask a person who has experienced loss how they are. It, that's too grandiose. <laughs> it is. You know, how are you this morning? How are you this afternoon? I remember people asking me that, and it's like, okay, I, is it in my brain or my body you want to know? I had a guy pass yeah, me. Where do I begin? Yeah, I had a guy pass me at the hospital and say to me, just in passing after my son was killed, he said, don't you have a big pit in your stomach? That's all he said as he passed me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you totally get it. And I, and I felt mm-hmm. it. I knew that it was there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... Using the breath, and one of the techniques in my Healthy Living After Loss program, and we do several different breathing types of techniques that shift you right back to the present moment so that when you see that you're, you're getting off track or you're, you're reaching a block or you're exhausted, um, we use one of the many breathing techniques to refocus us. It energizes us. It clears out the toxins in our bodies. And it's one of the things that we totally forget exists and how to maximize um, using the breath. It's such an amazing um, technique. And also walking. I, I, all my clients learn a walking meditation. Mm-hmm. And because we rarely think about our feet until they hurt. Right. You know, we step out into the world unaware of where we're stepping. Um, so having them become focused on every slow step they're taking. Again, bringing them back to the present moment, trying to get them away from that overwhelm that we frequently feel after loss. You know, I love that you're talking about walking and breathing because those are things that we do and we have to do after loss. Even You know, when you feel like you can't do anything, you will be doing those things and doing them mindfully you know, could not be asking you for too much because, wow, you can't ask too much to people after a loss. I mean, they are lucky to match their socks. But you will be walking. So doing it mindfully is possible. Yeah, so it's very simple, practical daily, te- daily techniques. And, and frequently my clients will be, wow, that's so simple. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And easily integrated into your everyday life. You know, one of the things that we lose uh, is laughter. 
And I I don't know if people realize, you know, we kind of laugh every day, um, not as much as babies do. I think they laugh 200 times a day or something, and, and adults mm-hmm. only laugh 17 or 18. I don't know what the... But when you laugh, it brings in oxygen. And, and I don't mm-hmm. think people realize some of the ways we oxygenate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And all those good chemicals that all of a sudden there's a deluge um, in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things, in, in looking at the mind-body connection and that constant state of um, fight or flight, and how when we're grieving a loss, we're in that constant state of alertness. I mean, the bottom has fallen out. Um, we have like, evidence of having had no control over a situation. And oftentimes, people, once they have that experience, as you know, feel they have no control in any part of their lives. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about one of the main reasons that I think that people don't do these things. And I, I can just talk for myself. Early on, there was a shame factor of I couldn't take care of my own son. Why would I be taking care of myself? You know, is it, you know, just letting yourself take care of yourself sometimes is a challenge. There's a guilt. Mm-hmm. I remember the the first time I, I had kind of an awakening, I think it was maybe three weeks after Scott died, I suddenly, uh, kind of a little voice said in my head, if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to get sick. And I said, I said to myself, I can't, you know, I can't get sick, so I'm going to go out and run. That was the most painful run I've ever done because I was sure people were looking out of the window saying, oh, look at her. She's out running. She doesn't care that her son died. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Going back to that, and you brought back into my mind, one of the dreams I had after Joe died, <clears throat> and of course I had no control over the situation. He had um, been diagnosed with leukemia six months after we were married. Um, he, too, was a physician, um, and I, a nurse, knew the ultimate um, uh, outcome of mm-hmm. the disease. But after Joe died, I had this constant dream that there was something I should be doing to have saved him. Mm-hmm. And it was the most haunting dream because there was nothing mm-hmm. absolutely. absolutely nothing I could have done so yeah you're right you're right and it did take me time and I had four children very young my baby was two and a half months old and my oldest was six wow what a challenge and what I faced was I, I have to take care of myself you know I've got these four babies um, and what I began with um, at the time, because there really weren't many tools available, was to go back to what I had known um, as a college student. And that was when I learned Transcendental Meditation. Mm-hmm. And that was the first tool I used about six months after Joe died and began meditating religiously every single morning. I think, I, I love that, that you went back to some of the things that you did to take care of yourself early on. I think people need to remember that there are some things that they know, and particularly if they've been athletic or, or body-connected, that they can think of what did you do in the past and what brought you pleasure in the past. You know, what were the types of things? Sometimes it, it is hard to remember. I want you to talk a little bit about what you're doing now in New York about the Death Cafe. Is that what it's called? I know you had a big play in the New York Times that we all read and got excited about. Back in June, um, unexpected, totally unexpected. Well, Death Cafe is a social movement, truly, and it, it had been begun by a Swiss 
sociologist Bernard Credits, and he held what he called Café Mortel in Paris back in the late 1990s. And a gentleman who is Buddhist in London, England, read about Bernard Credit's work and said, this has to be. And of course, Buddhists um, believe in impermanence. That's how they live. And um, so John started it in London. A colleague of mine, who is a social worker out in Ohio, had the first deaf cafe in the United States in 2011. And when Lizzie told me, I just know, I knew this was something I had to do. Because the whole idea is that if we speak about death, you know, that taboo of talking about death and grief, um, that will, our awareness will help us to really fully live our lives. And my personal experience with not only my husband, who had a terminal disease, and we never spoke about his death, um, and more recently, my dad, who died in 2012 and um, was going in for surgery. He was 80, and I approached him, and, you know, dad is everything in order, you know, for mom. And his comment was, do you think I'm going to die? Mm. You know, sarcastically. So, you know, it's a subject we're so afraid of, um, and it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And I think that, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I really think if we do speak about um, death and, you know, when I, when I die, and, and my current husband and I do speak about this, um, it changes the grief experience of the person. And I, I think that I believe that because older couples who openly discuss the ultimate death of one or the other, if I die before you, so many of those emotional statements that we rarely say have been expressed. Right, right. No, I think that's absolutely true, and uh, I think it's an important thing. So, uh, uh, so you're in the New York City area. How do people find uh, about the Death Cafe? They can go to your website? Uh, they can go to meetup.com. Meetup.com is where, and I actually hold two Death Cafes each month, both on the third Wednesday of the month. The afternoon is at um, the Open Center from 2.30 to 4, and you would need to register at the New York Open Center. And the other is on meetup.com, Death Cafe New York City, and you can register there. And those meetings are held the third Wednesday evening of the month at a restaurant called China Sun, uh, right near Batter, um, uh, what's the park? Bryant Park, right near Bryant Park. Um, and they can register online, and that's held from 6 to 7.30 p.m. And if you go to her website, Wise Widow, you're going to find out how you can work with her, read her blog, and she does all sorts of speaking, corporate, if you've got any corporate. And I love what you're doing. I love the the health aspects of it and how you're helping people, Audrey. And uh, I think it's just great. Thank you so much, Gloria. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been great to have you on the show today. And everyone, thanks for listening, and do take care of your health, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. 
check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.